Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You can try all the therapy you want. You can self-medicate. But the fact of the matter is, we are guilty. And guilt crushes you. And it will ultimately crush you unless it is lifted off of you. And the only way it can be lifted off is through Jesus Christ, who bore the guilt himself. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 52 through 53. Now, here's Pastor Brian. The judge says, you know what? We're just going to let, we're going to let bygones be bygones. We're going to let, you know, the past be the past. And we're, you know, we're, you're, you're free to go. Just, you know, try your best to not do it again. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see you later. Now, for the criminal, of course, he would think, wow, this is amazing. You know, gosh, this judge is, a, is he's such a nice guy. He let me off the hook. Everybody else would be outraged. They would be completely outraged. What, what kind of justice is this? So he, he might have been a nice guy, the judge, but he was a horrible judge. We see God's a righteous judge. And so God cannot, because of who he is, because of his intrinsic justice, God cannot overlook sin. He can't just turn a blind eye to it. He can't just wink at it and say, hey, don't worry, we're going to be okay with that. No, it, it requires, just, just as no judge would be fit to be a judge who, who behaved in that way, so God, of course, could not be God if he were not just. And so there is a penalty that must be paid. But if I pay it, then I'm done. If you pay it, you're done. That's the payment. You, you just have to, forever and ever and ever trying to pay it, but never succeeding because you don't have the you don't have the ability to pay it. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He could pay it. The righteous one, Jesus, the one who did not sin, he is able to pay for the sins that we've committed. And so it goes on and it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And, and these are all the things, right, that happened to Jesus. I just finished reading uh, the Gospel of John. And there, of course, Jesus was before Pilate. And Pilate says, you know, don't you speak to me. I have the authority to, to crucify you or to set you free. And Jesus just says, well, you could have no authority over me at all unless it were given to you from heaven. But in, in those accounts, Pilate is marveling that Jesus is silent, that he's not defending himself. He's not crying out. He's led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. And so he was slain. He was executed. He was cut off from the land of the living and he was cut off 
for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. You can't get any clearer than that. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And so as, as I was saying, we have sinned. All of us have sinned. And these sins have put us at odds with God. And God is a, is a righteous judge. And again, because of God's great love, he sent Christ who fully consented to the task of redemption. You see, we, you know, the, the people that say the idea that God punished Jesus on the cross for our sin is cosmic child abuse, you know, they're, they're just not reading their Bible clearly. The picture is, it's not like God I took and forced Jesus, and Jesus is like a little kid, and God saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta save these people, so I'm gonna punish you, and I, I know you don't want this. That, that is not the picture at all. Uh, the picture is that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going to redeem mankind, and this is how it's going to happen. The Son is going to come, and He's gonna defeat the powers of darkness, He's gonna take the penalty of sin upon Himself. He and the Father are going to work together along with the Holy Spirit for the redemption of the world. And so that's the truer picture. Jesus said himself, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. So it wasn't like God bound Jesus against his will and said, okay, you're gonna be a sacrifice because we gotta have a sacrifice for these sins. Jesus came voluntarily that was his role in the mission of redemption, that he would come and he would give his life a sacrifice. And, but in verse nine, it's so interesting. It says this, it says, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You know, there's different ways. I read at least five different translations of Isaiah 53 today. And, there are little nuances in, in the language here where, where you could slightly change wording and use different words. And essentially, it all, all always ultimately says the same thing, but just in slightly different wording. But in one of the translations, the picture here, and I think it's really the right picture, uh, they made his grave with the wicked. And then it says, but with the rich in his death. And... This is so interesting because Jesus was tried and condemned to death on a cross and death by crucifixion was the death of a criminal and a criminal was not given an honorable burial. A criminal's body was removed from a cross and just cast by the wayside, basically, just thrown on the, on the, the rubbish heap or into the fire, or, or something like that. So that was where things seemed to be headed, but with the rich in his death. And the word rich here is, is referring to one person. You could, say, you could read it, the rich man in his death. And so this ignominy of you know, dying on a cross and then destined for a, a grave with the wicked, with all the other common criminals. But no, he's, in a sense, he's swooped up by the Lord through Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man. 
rich man. And he is buried in a rich man's tomb. And, and this is astounding. I mean, of course, before Jesus came and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, scholars were greatly perplexed as to what, what could this even mean? And had it not been for the fact that Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, the text specifically tells us that, we would have never known. But that, that is what the reference is to here. So the point is that Jesus dies. He appears to be dying as a criminal. He's numbered with the transgressors, as we're going to see the very last line. He's numbered with the transgressors, the criminals, but he's buried honorably and with dignity. And it's as though God overrules and does not allow his son at this point, once the atonement is made, now his body is going to be placed, not in on the rubbish heap, but in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. You know, I was talking to my wife today, who's a student at Western Seminary, and she's studying um, a, a lot of theology books anyway, but she, we were talking about there's something that some of you who've been around a while, you might remember a thing called the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar are a group of uh, so-called scholars. I mean, you know, they have academic degrees, but they're simultaneously really just blasphemers with academic degrees claiming to be Christian scholars. And uh, they came up with all these theories about, you know, what was true in the New Testament, what Jesus said, what he didn't say, what the apostles put in his mouth. They basically deny all that the New Testament teaches for the most part. But one of them, John Dominic Crossan is his name. And he speculated, and this is just, this is where the, the blasphemy goes. It's crazy. He speculated that Jesus, of course, was, he didn't believe Jesus was really the son of God. He didn't believe that Jesus died on the cross. He believed that Jesus' body was buried in a shallow grave, dug up by dogs and eaten. So that's some of our great Bible scholars. Isn't that tragic? It's pathetic. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are some really great Bible colleges. I said that tongue in cheek. <laughs> there are some wonderful Bible, Bible scholars. As a matter of fact, there are those who have refuted, soundly refuted uh, John Dominic Crossan. But, but, you know, just these ideas. But here God says no. He has him laid in a rich man's tomb. And so... It pleased, verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Here it is again. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you make his soul an offering for sin. That is what was happening with Jesus. And this is echoed by Paul. As I said earlier, uh, Isaiah 53 is quoted or alluded to many, many, many times over in the New Testament. And it is the basis for the substitutionary atonement ideas that, that occur over and over in the New Testament scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For God made Christ who knew no sin to become the sin offering for us that we through him might become the righteousness that God requires. That's what we are reading about here. When you make his soul 
an offering for sin. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. So he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. You could translate that. He shall see the labor of his soul and see light. And it's just referring to as Jesus is suffering, that in, in the midst of his suffering, he is able to see the redemptive purpose that he is accomplishing. So he can see at a moment, and it's like at the very end there in John's gospel where Jesus says, his very last words, he says, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, and then it says, and then he gave up his spirit, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But it is finished. The idea is that um, it is accomplished. It is done. And so it, it seems that in those last moments before Jesus gives up his breath, that this is what Isaiah is talking about. He can see now the, the fruit of his labor. There, he can, there's that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, where he can see that redemption has been accomplished. So powerful stuff. Therefore, wait, he says, um, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There it is again. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And this is probably a reference to Christ and his victory over all things and his possession over all things and his sharing of all things with his people. And so here's where we kind of get a little honorable mention here in the, in the text. The strong there would be those who are going to reign with him. And then it says this, because he poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So remember where this started. God says, go out from among them. He's calling the people back from their captivity. And like I said, that happened in um, their deliverance from, from the Babylonian captivity. But it's also a picture of, of the future. And the, the greater captivity to sin and death and how it's through the suffering servant and his suffering that we and they are ultimately delivered from death. And so he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, he was hung up on the cross between two criminals and he was counted by many as a criminal as well. He was numbered with the transgressors, but he bore the sin of many and he made intercession and the word intercession here, um, we think of that as prayer, that he was praying, and he, and he did pray. But the word intercession here, interestingly, is a military term. And the word implies that Jesus interjected himself into the situation, it, like an army would interject itself into a situation in order to deliver uh, a captive people. That's what Christ did. That's what he did on the cross. And so Isaiah 53, so amazing. 
You know, normally when we even share Isaiah 53, we have communion. I was thinking about that today. But this passage always reminds me of that. But let me just say a few things in closing. Number one, um, like I said, the Isaiah 53 is, it's either stated or quoted directly or alluded to many, many times over in the New Testament. Sometimes it's good. Just read through your Bible, read through Romans, through, you know, Jude, for example, all those epistles there, and, and look at how many times you can find references to the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ, the atonement of Christ. And all of those things, again, are rooted back not just in Isaiah 53, but of course in the sacrificial system, as I said before. But, but you will find many of the things right here in this great and amazing passage. And, and I think about one of my favorite New Testament occurrences of this passage here is the story about how Philip went down to the area of Gaza and there was a, an Ethiopian eunuch. He was a you know, an official from Ethiopia under the queen. And uh, he had been to Jerusalem and he was worshiping and he was heading back home. And as he was heading back home, the Lord speaks to Philip and says, go and join yourself to this man's chariot. So Philip comes up alongside, apparently the chariot's going relatively slow. Seems like Philip runs up alongside of him. And as he runs up alongside of him, he hears the man reading out loud Isaiah 53. Think about that. 2,000 years ago in Gaza, in the ancient land of Israel, there's a man who has come all the way up from Ethiopia, which is modern-day Sudan. We talked about Sudan at the beginning of the service. He's come to Jerusalem to worship, and, and now he's going back. And as he's going back, he's reading a scroll. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And as he's reading, he's reading the portion where it's talking about him being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And and the man is reading this and he's perplexed. And so Philip, as he comes alongside, he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I? Unless somebody helps me. So Philip says, well, let me join you. I can help you. So the man says this to him. He says to Philip, he says, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or some other person? And here's the greatest thing. It says, at that moment, Philip opened his mouth. And from this text, he preached Jesus to him. So Philip preaching this passage to the Ethiopian eunuch. And as they're going along the road, the Ethiopian is stirred. He believes the gospel message that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And he says to Philip, he says, wait, stop. There's water here. Can I get baptized? And Philip says, sure. You can get baptized. And Philip takes the Ethiopian He baptizes him. He comes up out of the water. He's rejoicing. He's praising the Lord. And Philip is suddenly miraculously transported out of there and taken up to the more northern part of the coast of Israel. And the Ethiopian goes on his way and goes back to his country and begins to share the gospel there. All wrapped around Isaiah 53. Amazing stuff. So as we close, one final word. 
what we're talking about here is sin. And we're talking about the guilt of sin. And the guilt of sin is very real. And there is a reason why we feel guilty. You know, psychologists used to try to tell us that guilt was a bad thing and we've got to do everything to prevent you from feeling guilty. And of course, many people still feel that way today. You should not feel guilty. You should not feel shame. Well, in some cases, that's true if it's a false guilt or a false shame. But there is real guilt and there is real shame because there's real sin. But here's the wonderful thing. Jesus came to pay the penalty for those sins. And he is the one who is able to wash those sins away. And he is the one who is able to take that weight of guilt and literally lift it right off of us. And you know, people live with guilt because we're all sinners. And we do a couple of things. We either, as a result of guilt, we either try to pass the buck onto somebody else where he's trying to put the blame somewhere else, take the blame off of ourselves, but yet we still just, we live with this thing. Or that, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is we try to deny that the guilt is real. We just say, well, you know, I, I, I'm fine. I don't need to feel guilty about anything. But, but you can try all the therapy you want. You can self-medicate. You can do all of these things. But the fact of the matter is, we are guilty. And guilt crushes you. And it will ultimately crush you unless it is lifted off of you. And the only way it can be lifted off is through Jesus Christ, who bore the guilt himself. Your sins were put upon him and he bore the guilt. And if you will confess or just admit you're a sinner, he will take his life and he will transfer it to you. But I I just think about how he really takes away guilt. I think about the guilt in my own life over sin from my past. And I think about how that was weighing me down and wearing me out and causing me to make excuses and live duplicitly and all of this stuff. And yet Christ came and he lifted the guilt. And then I was thinking about other people I know. I was thinking about people who have, who have committed heinous crimes. I think about people who have murdered and people who have abused and all of these things. And, and the guilt of that, the weight of that guilt And today they're free and they're joyful and they have peace because they've been forgiven and they know they've been forgiven and they've experienced the weight of that guilt being lifted off of them because they have cried out to the one who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And they've cried out to him. And as the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, saved from the guilt of sin and the punishment that is, is due to that, saved from the power of sin that crushes our lives through guilt and bondage and those other things, and ultimately, finally, saved from the very presence of sin where we will never again be bothered or burdened by sin. And that's all possible because of the servant of the Lord and what he did for us.
month of September. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. Have you ever been wronged or hurt to the point that it's difficult to forgive the person or people that hurt you? Why is it so difficult to forgive those who have hurt us? In his book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Timothy Keller explains why forgiveness is so important. He also explains what forgiveness is and the various ways it's been misunderstood culturally, both inside and outside the church. Timothy Keller will help you truly understand all the dimensions of forgiveness. You'll learn the principles of forgiveness and the practical ways to practice forgiveness in your own life as you move towards relational reconciliation with others. If you want to know why forgiveness is so important and how you can forgive others who have hurt you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.